0: thank you for joining us for this sermon podcast from first baptist church at the fields i'm dr brent taylor and we invite you to join us each week in worship i am praying for you and trusting god will use this message to encourage your faith and strengthen your walk with him well happy new year to everyone and i'm so grateful for uh, the opportunity to be back with you i was gone this past week and uh, In Athens and in Rome with 30 students from Dallas Baptist University and we were following the journeys of Paul and so I had the opportunity last Sunday to have a worship experience with them in the city of Corinth and that's not too bad a place to uh, have uh, a worship experience together and uh, what a great time it was to be with these students to see their minds and their eyes open up to the reality of the Word of God when you can show them things that are in the Bible and then you can actually see the site, the place where it took place. And so it's exciting to uh, be able to witness that and do that. And I'm going to be taking a group from our church there this uh, May. Still have a few spots open. If you're interested in being a part of that, if you've never been on the journeys of Paul, you ought to see... Uh, Those places would love for you to go and be a part of that. But I flew in from Rome last night, so my voice is maybe a little bit shaky today, so I apologize. I'm not sure what country I am in right now, but I am glad to be wherever we are at this time, no matter what time it is, and I don't know what it is. I am grateful for Dr. Barker preaching last Sunday, and uh, what a great man of God, and what an honor it is to have him share with us. And so I know that you were blessed by his message. But happy new year to you. You know, I'm, I'm choosing to start 2024 with optimism and hope and opportunity. I hope you are as well. I'm really looking forward to uh, this year. And we have some exciting plans to help us move forward as a church in our vision. Of course, our vision is wrapped around those words, lifestyle Christianity, blending our faith into our everyday life, not compartmentalizing our faith in certain ways, but really just letting it inundate all that we are and who we are. Truly, seeking to be a christ follower that the bible teaches and so this year you're going to hear about some exciting things we've got some new ministries we're starting one of those is going to be a brand new family ministry that we're going to be rolling out this fall and i think it may be the single most helpful family resource in the history of our church And so I'm very excited about rolling that out for our church. We've got another new ministry that we're gonna be starting that uh, involves helping people that are hurting different uh, specific needs that they have in their life, really trying to meet people at that point in their life where they are hurting and seeking to uh, find God's answers. So I'm very excited about uh, all of those things, opportunities for us as a church to minister right here in our own community and all around the world. And of course, we're going to be breaking ground on our brand new children's building in just a few weeks. We'll be sharing some more information about that in the coming days. But 2024 promises to be an exciting year for our church. But I also want it to be a year of spiritual growth in your life and spiritual impact. In other words, we want God working in your life, but we also want God working through your life. Now, I can't make you do that. But if your heart is open to God, you will be amazed at what God will do in your life and through your life. If you'll open yourself up to him, you'll be amazed at how God can use you. Now, some of you have already discounted what I've said. And you said, well, that's not me. That's got to be somebody else he's talking to you because you have predetermined that you can't preach or teach or tell others about Jesus, whatever it may be. So you said, well, it didn't really apply to me. That is not the case. Don't listen to that type of thinking. That's kind of, kind of thinking the devil wants you to follow. Don't do that. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ yet, I want to invite you to make the greatest decision you could ever make in your life. That is to place your faith and trust in Christ. And we'll talk about that more in just a moment. But if you are a Christ follower, you certainly don't want to fall into the I can't trap. Don't do that. That's a pit of faithlessness. And it's only going to discourage you. But today we're going to talk about an encouraging idea. And I want to encourage you with an important concept. And I'm going to use a phrase that's probably a new phrase for probably many of us, if not all of us. And it's this phrase, manifesting a faithful presence. Manifesting a faithful presence. I'm going to define that term a little bit today. But it's the title of this new series that we're in. We're going to be in this series until Easter. And so I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Daniel If you do not uh, have a copy of God's Word, be sure and go by our Welcome Center, ask for a Bible. We wanna give you a Bible, we wanna make sure everybody has one, and I wanna encourage you, even if you've kind of gotten used to using a digital Bible on your phone, during this series, I wanna encourage you to bring a physical Bible with you to church, because we're gonna kind of flip around a little bit, look at different things that I think you might wanna write in your Bible, you might wanna make some notes about, but I wanna encourage you to to do that. Now, we're gonna be uh, looking at a lot of things associated would the book of Daniel. Daniel is a very interesting book. Now, Daniel was written by Daniel some 600 years or so before the time of Christ. And it's an unusual book in many different ways. It's a history book. We're going to see that in chapters one to six. And that is where Daniel interprets for others these events that happen around his life. But then we're going to see Daniel chapter 7 to 12, and that's where we're going to see prophecy, where an angel interprets for Daniel things that are going on in the world. It's also an unusual book because chapters 1, chapter 1, and then chapters 8 through 12 are written in Hebrew. Chapters 2 through 7 are written in Aramaic. We'll talk a little bit more about that along the way. Now the book of Daniel is a great companion piece to the book of Revelation. You know the book of Revelation. book of Revelation, obviously, that last book in the Bible that gets a lot of, a lot of conversation, a lot of talk among Christians trying to understand things. It's one of the top topics when you go with uh, students anywhere, they're wondering about questions about Revelation. Well, we understand more about Revelation thanks to the book of Daniel. Both books actually help us to understand each other. Now, the book of Daniel has a theme that we're going to look at. Here's the theme. In spite of present difficulties, God is in control and will have the final victory. Now, friends, that theme that you see right there is a great theme, not only for the book of Daniel. Guess what? It's a great theme for your life as well. And somebody needs to remember that today. I don't know who it is, but somebody needs to remember that in spite of your present difficulties you're going through, God is in control and will have the final victory. You may have to say that to yourself every day, but it's still true. In other words, God is in heaven. He is on the throne. He is in control. He is sovereign. He is Lord of individuals. He is Lord of nations. He is Lord of history. We're going to see all of that in the book of Daniel. Which means, though, that He is Lord of your life. He is Lord of your world. He is Lord of your story. And He's Lord of your history. And God is not sitting in heaven watching the news 24 7. God is sitting in heaven controlling all things. Sometimes we forget that though. We think God sometimes is busy doing other things. I mean, he's got a world to run as if there's no universe out there. He's He's in control. So what we think though is I've got to step in and I've got to control things because God must be too busy. Sometimes we think that about our own lives and our own situations that we face. Sometimes we think that about our community that we live in or we think that about the country that we live in or we think that about the world we live in. And if we're really honest, we may wonder, does God really care about my life? Does God really care about what's going on in my life? I mean, I know he cares, but does he care? I mean, I know God cares. I've been in church all my life. I know God cares, but does he really care about my life? Well, friend, God not only cares about your life, he's at work in your life. He's at work in ways that you see and recognize, and he's at work in ways when you get to heaven, you're going to say, wow, I didn't see that or recognize that. He's giving you everything you need for life and godliness, 2 Peter 1.3. He's helping you as you face struggles and challenges and oppositions and fears and grief and trials, whatever it may be, God is working. And the story of Daniel is going to be encouraging to you. So, be here. Be here. Because I don't want you to miss it. I've spent a lot of time studying the book of Daniel. And I don't want you to miss what God has in store, because Daniel has some awesome things in store. Most Christians have read Daniel's 1 to 6, and they think, man, what a great story. Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, this is awesome. And then they get to the prophecy in chapter 7, and they think, the wheels have come off. I don't know what in the world's going on. But we're going to talk about what in the world's going on. Now, if we're all honest in the room, and we are, we would admit the world has changed. The world has changed. Some things are not like they used to be. Some things are like they used to be. But most things have have really changed. Most people today no longer have a home phone. If you have a home phone, you're in the minority today. Did you know that? You can send it to the Smithsonian. They're waiting on it. Most people no longer have a home phone. Today, in today's culture, anybody can become a celebrity. How crazy is that? Computers that used to fill up entire rooms, we now hold in our hands. Retail stores have largely been replaced by internet shopping. Amazon comes to our house every day. I mean, the guy drops off, I'm like, see you tomorrow. <laughs> News is reported 24 hours a day. Tattoos are no longer countercultural. Phones are not used to talk, they're used to text now. We know what's going on on the other side of the world before the morning paper hits our door. Taking a picture of yourself by yourself is considered normal (laughs) in our society. Going to work doesn't necessarily mean going to an office. The world has changed, but it's changed in more ways than many people realize. And the world changed dramatically for Daniel. Look in verse one of Daniel chapter one. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. There's a lot of history packed in those verses. So let's unpack a little bit of it because it's critical for understanding Daniel. First of all, quick timeline. Around 1010 to 970 BC, King David rules over the United Kingdom. In 930 BC, the kingdom of Israel is divided. Northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. That northern kingdom of Israel served as a warning of types to Judah, the southern kingdom. You don't honor the Lord, judgment's gonna fall, your kingdom will be destroyed. And Judah had had heard all of those warnings. They'd heard the warnings from the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, but ultimately the Lord delivered Judah into the hands of the Babylonians and they're ruled by King Nebuchadnezzar. So first you have a deportation. The first deportation is in 605 BC and that is when Daniel is taken captive. Then in 598 BC, you have a second deportation. That's when Ezekiel is taken. Finally, in 587 BC, you have a third deportation and the final fall of the southern kingdom. So Nebuchadnezzar didn't have to come back anymore because he had destroyed the temple and he had destroyed Jerusalem and he had destroyed the nation. That nation would not be restored again until May of 1948. Nebuchadnezzar is no fool. Nebuchadnezzar was a brilliant military commander, and he brought Babylon to a zenith, economically and politically. In fact, apart from the Pharaoh, there is more said of Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament than any other foreign ruler. Now, this is how Daniel is set up. In verse two, it tells us that the Lord delivered King Jehoiakim to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I mentioned in 605, Daniel's taken captive. And we, we see from the deportations that happened that they carried off temple treasures. These sacred, holy objects from the temple are now placed in the temple of pagan gods. But they also took another treasure, the Bible says. They took teenagers from the royal family, from nobility. Verse four tells us that these teenagers were sharp, strong, good-looking, but now they're captives. And everything in Daniel's world had changed. How can we understand that? I think David Dykes, who used to be pastor out in uh, East Texas, he makes a comparison that I think is a really interesting comparison to help us to, to imagine. He said, the only way that I would know how to compare this If it would be if communist China took over America and bombed and destroyed Washington, D.C. and then exported some of the finest teenagers from America to Beijing, China. And suddenly you could no longer listen to the music you listen to. You couldn't wear the clothes you wear. Couldn't eat the food you eat. Couldn't pray to the God you pray to. Suddenly you're made to eat Chinese food, pray to Chinese gods, wear Chinese clothes, and try to change you to be Chinese. He said, that's the only way I know how to compare it today. And that's, in essence, what happened to these teenagers. This is tough on Daniel. Daniel's young. He's probably, you know, kind of that early teenage years, maybe 14, 15 years old. And Daniel's world falls apart. He's far from home. He's separated from loved ones, all the things that are familiar. How is he going to adapt in a world that is completely changed? Well, that's a question for us as believers as well. How do we adapt in a, in a culture that is changing around us? I mean, not only is the world changing around us, but like Daniel experienced, we also find the world is working to change you. Do you know that? Now, when I say that, when I say the world is working to change you, I'm not trying to be an alarmist. I'm not trying to be an alarmist at all. I'm trying to be Mr. Obvious. I am stating what can plainly be seen. Daniel could plainly see how his world had changed around him and was trying to change him. If you look again at verse 3, the, Lord, the king orders Ashpenaz to take these nobles, these young men. And look at what it says. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So the king has the cream of the crop selected. And the chief of staff is brought, uh, is to bring in some of these, these best young men, these teenagers of, of the royal and noble families. The historian Josephus tells us, he theorized that they were from the house of Zedekiah, the third son, son of King Josiah, the last man to serve as the king of Judah. And these young men were good-looking, and they were educated, and they were wise, and they were qualified. And they were chosen by the king, but for a purpose. And that purpose was to be freshmen at the University of Babylon. And there was a curriculum they had to learn. They had to learn language arts. They had to learn to speak like the Babylonians. They had to take literature courses to understand the great writings of the land. Babylon was the center of its day in many ways culturally. It included a library left by the Assyrian ruler Ashurbanipal. They had to take food sciences, the food and wine from the king's table. And man, they enjoyed the very best experiences from a Babylonian point of view. They exercised in the king's gym. They swam in his pool. They sat in his sauna. They were getting what society would call a well-rounded education. And scholars believe they would have studied mathematics and astronomy and history and legal matters and economics, all in a three-year intensive training program. And they were experiencing privileged education and privileged status. That'd be something pretty special for these young men, 14, 15 years of age, somewhere around there. Not only were they being educated, though, attempts through the process were being made to change them. So much so that their names are changed. The Bible says that Daniel was chosen along with others, but three in particular that are mentioned, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, but new names are given to them. The name Daniel means God is my judge. His name is changed to Belteshazzar. Bel was a Babylonian God, and it meant God protect his life. Hananiah, which means Yahweh is gracious, was changed to Shadrach. And that means Aku, another Babylonian god, is exalted. He was the moon god. Mishael, his name means who is what God is. In other words, there's no god like our god. That's the essence of what that means. His name is changed to Meshach, who is what Aku is. And Azariah, whose name means Yahweh will help. His name is changed to Abednego, the servant of Nebo, a false god. You see what's happening? Not only is there reeducation, but there's renaming going on. So what is happening? Well, it's pretty simple to see in the story. In warfare and in nation building, you're always trying to work on the hearts and minds of the people. But there are three words that I think describe very well what is happening. Words that fit Babylon 2,600 years ago and words that fit our culture in 2024 and describe what is happening in many ways in America. So let me give those three words. Here's the first one, deconstruction. Deconstruction. Now, deconstruction is a modern term. It originated in the 1960s, a French intellectual named Jacques Derrida. And it described a method of scrutinizing Western philosophy. Now, we don't have time to go into all the stuff about deconstruction, kind of just a high-level view today. But it's kind of taken on in recent years, especially, a religious meaning. And that's the part I want to focus on. And this is where it means today, deconstruction means to dismantle your faith, to take apart that upon which you were raised, To dismantle using secular ideology and personal experience. And for many people today, the rejection of scripture in which they were raised and embracing what I feel to be true or what the world says to be true is now what is not just accepted, but is, is very much endorsed. Biblical ideas, those are, those are out, outdated at best or dangerous from the start often deconstruction is birthed out of various streams from the rejection of institution in our cultures today to being church hurt that's a popular phrase now to being around people of many different faiths and many different pathways so to speak to god and there's a big push in our culture today for people to deconstruct their faith. And I'm hearing it from, from writers. I'm hearing it from former pastors. I'm hearing it through social media. But it's not new. The idea of deconstructing faith is not new. Nebuchadnezzar called on Daniel and his friends to be deconstructed. To dismantle the faith in which they were raised. And then he takes them to the second step, from deconstruction to reconstruction. That's the idea of replacing the faith in which you were raised with a new way of thinking, consistent not with God, but with the culture. Nebuchadnezzar knew that if you can win hearts and minds, then you'll have the rest of the person forever. And so you do that by deconstructing their values that they were raised in and reconstructing with your values. Values that you had developed in you as a teen. Actually, they set the course for your life and Nebuchadnezzar figured that out before psychologists did. And so Daniel and his friends are being told to deconstruct so that they can be reconstructed. Does that sound like our culture today to you? To abandon to question, to dismantle what the Bible says, and to reconstruct your life with what the culture says, with what the world says, with, get this, how you feel. Now let me say, there's nothing wrong with critically analyzing your faith and your beliefs. And deconstruction isn't always bad. In fact, Jesus deconstructed the beliefs of a man named Saul and converted him into a man we call Paul. So it can be done in a healthy, intellectually, spiritually, honest way. But we must be wise to make sure that we do so objectively and honestly, examining not only what's happening in the world around us today, but also what two centuries of scholarship have concluded. I hear people saying today, well, there's a new way to interpret the Bible. No, there's not. For 2,000 years... Great minds have been interpreting the Bible, and nobody just recently figured it out. Deconstruction and reconstruction are not new. In fact, it goes back to the beginning of time. Genesis chapter 3, you watch the serpent help Eve deconstruct and reconstruct. I'm one who says not to doubt your beliefs. I say believe your beliefs and doubt your doubts. And there is a danger where deconstruction and reconstruction can take you. And it can leave you with a very open mind about the ways of the world and a narrow mind about God's ways. Which result in a narrow mind about truth and a broad mind about relative truth. In her book, Another Gospel, Alyssa Childers writes, In the context of faith, deconstruction is the process of systematically dissecting and often rejecting the beliefs you grew up with. Sometimes the Christian will deconstruct all the way into atheism. Some remain there, but others experience a reconstruction. But the type of faith they end up embracing almost never resembles the Christianity they formerly knew. This is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar wanted for these boys. And what the world wants for you. Which ultimately leads to redefinition. Redefinition, that's the third word. Nebuchadnezzar had those four boys change their names. And by doing so, he's trying to obliterate their past. Nebuchadnezzar, man, he's sly. He didn't say, hey, you stop believing the way you've been believing, no. He didn't say, you abandon your religion, no. He just weaned them off of it. Weaned them off of what they had known and he changes their identity to redefine who they were. Christians, Christianity, We get accused of indoctrination and brainwashing all the time. But if you think this world is not trying to brainwash you and your kids, you're naive at best and brainwashed more than likely. To redefine yourself based upon your feelings is today's mantra. To believe science unless science conflicts with how you feel and then you throw it out, is the way our world is thinking today. Friends, in a world that is in an identity crisis and in a state of confusion, here at First Baptist Church at the Fields, there is no confusion. We believe the word of God, we proclaim the truth of the word of God, we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. We believe the Bible is the word of God. We believe this book is truth for life. This is God's letter to you. And this is a book upon which you can build your life. In this culture... We stand on that truth without shame, without embarrassment, and without compromise. So friends, don't be, don't fret over what's happening in the world. The Bible has outlasted its critics from the beginning of time, and it will continue to do so. The word of God does not change. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we're not upset about it. But we're not to be conformed to the world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, Romans 12. But let's be clear about this. We're not mad about it. We're not mad about it. A lot of Christians today are upset about what's happening in the world, and it's made them angry, bitter Christians. That is not us. That's not us. We are called to do something else, and that's what I wanna talk about in this series, manifesting a faithful presence. Over these weeks, we're gonna talk about this concept, and Daniel, I think, is a fantastic model for manifesting a faithful presence. That phrase is not mine, it comes from a guy by the name of James Davison Hunter, who is actually a professor of religion, culture, and social theory at the University of Virginia, and he is a believer, he's written a book called To Change the World. The irony, tragedy, and possibility of Christianity in the late modern world. And he talks about manifesting a faithful presence this way. He says the best way for Christians to engage the world is not by setting themselves up in contrast to the world in an assault manner or those who have a different, on those who have a different view of how the world should be run. Instead, Christians should be a blessing in the context they find themselves while at the same time maintaining their distinctiveness. As a faith community. In other words, we're not leaving Babylon anytime soon. I mean, this world isn't going to go back to the way it used to be. No matter how much we may want it to go back to the way it used to be, it's not going there. So, how do we live in it? How do we do what the prophet Jeremiah told the exiles to do in chapter 29 where he told them, told them to you know, build houses, plant crops, and be a blessing? Pray for the peace, he says, Jeremiah says. How do we be a blessing? How do we be a faithful witness in a culture that's going the wrong way? Well, that's what we're going to talk about because that's what Daniel did. We're going to see in Daniel's life how his faithful presence was used by God. Not back in his home country where everybody believed what he believed, but where? For his entire life in Babylon. And in the coming weeks, we're going to see how we're not going to escape from Babylon. But we are called to powerfully represent the Lord Jesus Christ in a Christ-like way in a culture that's not going back to the way that it was in the good old days, as we like to say. Like Daniel, we have to manifest a faithful presence in the culture. And what's wonderful about the book of Daniel is he does it over and over and over again, which encourages us in 2024 to be faithful witnesses of Christ In a dark world, over and over and over again. The problem in our world today is not that the darkness is getting darker. The problem in our world today is that Christians are not letting the light of Christ shine more and more. Darkness is darkness. But let us not hide the light under a bushel. But instead, let us manifest a faithful witness and represent Christ in our culture. Would you bow your head with me today? If you've come here to this service today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ the greatest decision you can ever make in your life is to recognize that because of your sin, you're separated from God. But God loves you so much, he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to pay the price for your sin and mine. And if you will turn from your sin and trust the Lord Jesus Christ, if you'll confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the invitation. You say, well, you don't know what I've done, Pastor. I don't know what you've done, but I do know that the Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you will call on him today and say, God, I'm a sinner and I need your salvation, you will be saved. You today can experience eternal life in Christ. There are others of you who have come here today and you wanna join our church. Or maybe you wanna be baptized, just like you saw the Cash family baptized earlier today. Or maybe you've come here to this service and you know that God is speaking to you about maybe a call into ministry. Maybe God is speaking to you about something, you don't know what, you just know there's a pull in your heart. There's There's just something that's pulling on your heart. Whatever your decision is today, if you just need to pray with somebody, here's what I want you to do. If you want to receive Christ as Savior, if you want to join our church, if you just want to talk to somebody, after we sing, close our service out. I want to invite you just to go down the hallway to our connect room, that glassed-in room that's on the comments. Pastors are there right now waiting on you, and they want to help you. If you want to receive Christ as Savior, they want to help you. You want to join the church today? They want to help you. You want to schedule being baptized? They want to help you. they are good people who want to help you. And if you sense the Spirit of God pulling you, if you don't know if the Spirit of God is pulling you, but you know something's happening, that's the Spirit of God pulling you. If you sense that today in your life, say yes to his call. Yes to his voice. Don't be embarrassed by that or afraid of that. Be excited because God's doing something in your life today. So follow his call. And after we finish seeing, you just walk right into that room where those pastors are. And they're going to sit down. They're kind people. They're going to visit with you and help you. But don't walk out of this place if you sense the Spirit of God speaking to you. Let God talk to you. Let God call you. If you're watching from home, listen for the voice of God calling you today. We want to be sensitive to what God is saying to us. Now, there are others of you here today that God is speaking to you because he's calling on you to be a faithful presence. Maybe it's at school, maybe it's at work, maybe it's in your neighborhood, maybe it's in your home. And you're asking God, God, help me to be like Daniel. Help me to be faithful in a world that's trying to change things. Let me be faithful and true to your word. As God speaks to your heart, say yes his voice today would you quietly stand where you are as I lead us in a word of prayer thank you Lord for this time thank you for your word your word that we will build our lives upon your word that we will build our homes upon your word that we will build our church upon Lord we thank you for your word that teaches us thank you for the truth that we've heard today from your word and the truth we will hear from Daniel May these stories and the history and the prophecy, Lord, may all of it remind us that you are faithful. But Lord, we live in a land, we live in a world that is not pursuing you. So God, may we swim against the stream. God, may we cut against the grain. God, may we manifest a faithful presence in this world. We pray for the peace of our nation and we pray for justice and what is right and the things in the world around us. But God, we pray for a turning to you and we pray that people's hearts would be turned to you, that our city would be turned to you, that our nation would be turned to you. But God, help us as believers, as followers of Christ to be witnesses for you, to be light in a dark world. Help us, oh God to be more and more transformed in the image of Christ in a world that is trying to deconstruct us and reconstruct us in the image of the world. Let that not be the case in our life, but oh God, let us be true to who you are, to your word, to what you have called us to, and let us do it all in love. Because if we speak with the words of men and angels, but have not love, We are only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. Oh God, help us to represent you well. Help us to be like Jesus in this world. We thank you for being a God who calls us and loves us. Give people faith to make the decision you have placed on their heart this day. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.